We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome on this wonderful Sunday morning. Um, I, have a, I have a thought exercise for you today, so hopefully you've had enough coffee that you're thinking, okay? So this is your thought exercise this morning. Um, I, I want you, in your mind, to think of, to think of the most memorable or joyous meal that you've ever been a part of. So the most memorable or most joyous meal you've ever been a part of, okay? So I'm gonna give you a minute to think about that. I want you to think about the setting. I want you to think about the environment that was there. Maybe even the smells and the tastes. Okay, does everybody have an idea in their mind? I think so. Some of you didn't have enough coffee, so you're just like, I'm not doing the thought exercise, right? It's all right, we can be patient, wait for everyone, no. Right, so. Okay, so uh, my guess is when I, when, I, when I asked you to do that, um, th there was probably a meal or maybe a, a time or a set of meals that, that came readily into your brain, right? Um, that, that kind of almost, to be honest, I bet you it almost instantly poured in there. And, and whether you liked it or not, probably even the sights and the sounds, the smells, how many of you knew exactly what food was being served there? Right? Uh, um, that's the power of meals, isn't it? That's the power of, of what we do. Now, we would say on the most basic level, we have to eat to survive, and yet, each and every one of us would probably readily agree that, that when we eat, when we eat well, it, it rises to a level that's beyond just fueling our bodies. So now I've got another question for you. Out of the, the meals that you thought or the memory that came into your mind, how many of you were eating that meal completely alone? All right, no one raised their hand. Yeah. No, okay, so my guess is that you made your most memorable meals, your, the, this, the most impactful time was almost always with other people. It wasn't solo. You weren't eating alone, right? It was always with other people that you loved, that you cared about, that cared about you, right? Uh, um, the, all of the things that go into that were communal. Now, here's the really fascinating thing about us as Americans, right? All of your best memories of a meal were with other people. And yet, as Americans, that has changed in the last 30 to 40 years drastically, okay? So from 1960 to 1990, eating alone tripled, okay? Eating alone tripled, okay? So the truth is, um, your best memory came from a time when you're eating with other people, but we, are increasingly eating alone. How some of you already know of my 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 draw towards McDonald's because you've heard of my chicken nugget addiction, right? But how many of you run through McDonald's and eat alone in your own vehicle, right? Right? Yeah. Right? So it's tripled since the 1960s. Now, here this is a, this is a, a kind of a uniquely American thing. Europeans eating alone only about 35% of them do it. 
Can you guess what our percentage is as Americans? Yeah, about 65% at this point, yeah. And accelerating, okay? So um, even, even if we're talking culturally or around the world, um, what we do as Americans, what we have increasingly done as Americans over the last 30 years is not commonplace other places in the world, right? There's a Washington Post article, this is the title of it, uh, but the most American thing there is, eating alone, right? And they're talking in, in, in the context of the world, right? This is kind of an American thing that we do. Now think back, your best memory was not eating alone though, was it? So this, rise, this raises a little bit of an issue for us. You want to know some other things that have increased? Now I'm not saying there's a direct correlation, but I think that there is some crossover to this. So eating alone has tripled. We're one of the nations that eats alone the most often, right? Now, some of you are ready to push back on me a little bit. You say, it's also made us very productive, Pastor, right? How many of you work while you're eating, right? Okay, right? Um, and I could have brought out statistics of how many more hours in any given year or a lifetime that as Americans we work. And so on some level, it has made us remarkably productive, and yet again, your best memories were not eating alone, it was eating with other people. So some other things have increased over the last 30 years. Um, this was from a study a couple years ago, but they asked those respondents, do you, in the last week, have you had high levels of loneliness? The average was 36% of us, okay? 36% of us. Um, if you're between the ages of 18 to 25, you reported 61% high levels of loneliness, right? Okay. Eating alone has drastically increased, and yet our, our reported levels of loneliness have also increased. And yet, our greatest memories are when we are eating with other people, right? Now, I don't necessarily need to go into the statistics on the benefits of eating with other people, but th there's just tons. You can find article after article um, that the more that you, that we, eat with other people, there are health benefits to it, right? There are social benefits to it, uh, connections and relationships. Um, families are stronger when they eat together. There is just a laundry list of good things that happens for you and among you when you don't eat alone. Okay, now, the point of this sermon is not necessarily to make you eat with more people, although I th actually think you should. But here's the really amazing thing. When we think back through the pages of Scripture, and even in our text here today, guess what we see Jesus doing? Eating. You want to find someone that, that arguably was, was the most productive in his ministry? It was Jesus. But do you ever hear him eating alone? <laughs> eating some chicken nuggets, just hanging out by himself? <laughs> Never, right? And we're going to look at that. It's a, there's a remarkable amount of, of accounts of Jesus in his ministry where he is doing nothing other than eating with other people. In fact, some of the biggest moments in Jesus' ministry, he was eating with other people. We're going to ask ourselves today, what impact does that have? And specifically, um, what does it mean in our text today 
when some Pharisees come and accuse Jesus of eating with the wrong people. Okay, so that's what we want to dig into. Um, these are going to be our kind of our three points that we're going to go through. Um, identity, connection, and memory. So uh, these are three of the biggest things that um, sociologists will, will study, have studied us eating together and the benefits of those, and there's lots of them. Um, but these are three of the biggest ones that um, when we eat together, and maybe even as you think of that memorable dinner that, that I asked you about at the beginning, um, it solidifies our identity, kind of who we are, right? The second thing is, is it increases connection to other people, so it strengthens relationships. Um, and the last one is, is it, it solidifies our memory of who we are, why we are there, and the people that are around us. So meals do that. Communal meals do that, right? Eating alone in your car, not so much. Okay, so those are going to be the three areas that we want to look at as we walk through our text. Uh, so before we jump into it, as I mentioned, um, this is a, a, a painting of Jesus um, eating at Matthew's house from our text today uh, with, with tax collectors and sinners. Um, but it's a pretty good kind of jumping off point. Think in your mind for a minute, the pages of scripture and specifically Jesus' ministry Think of all the significant moments in Jesus' ministry where food and meals were included. I'll give you a minute. Here's one. Zacchaeus, another tax collector, wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus. When Jesus saw him, what did Jesus do? Yeah, he invited himself into his house, right? So if you're going to do communal meals after this, you might want to coordinate a little bit. But yeah, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, um, I'm going to come to your house. We're going to, we're going to eat together. And Zacchaeus' life was never the same, right? Feeding of the 5,000, maybe that's the biggest communal meal we've ever seen, right? Jesus said, we, we're going to eat together. I'm going to feed everyone that's on, that is here. About Monday, Thursday, as he ate the Passover meal with his disciples for the very last time? How about the Lord's Supper that he instituted on that night so that we as believers for generations afterwards would eat, would taste and see that the Lord is good, right? God, God said, I'm going to take this setting of the Passover meal and I'm going to set it in place for believers for thousands of years and you're going to do something communally with one another as you taste and see and as those memories are, are solidified in your mind, right? We can even fast forward past Jesus' ministry. How does God um, describe or picture heaven? Is there food there? There is. A banquet, actually, right? When God talks about this is, this is what we are looking forward to, this is... God talks about a banquet and us sitting together and this communal act, right? And so all over the pages of Scripture, um, all kinds of accounts involve food and eating, but not alone, <laughs> eating with one another, right? Okay, so we're going to see one of those examples in the book of Matthew, um, and, and Jesus gets accused of doing something that... that, that 
in large part, he was going to do the rest of his ministry. So let's jump into our text. We want to talk about that first uh, bullet point about Jesus talking to Matthew, specifically about his identity, about who he would be. So we'll start by just reading verse 9. It says this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. Okay. Now, it's kind of an abrupt introduction into Matthew's calling. Um, There's a few things that we don't exactly know uh, the surrounding context of Matthew. We don't know how long Matthew had maybe been been um, researching Jesus. We don't know how much Matthew knew about Jesus. We don't know how long uh, Matthew had maybe been following him in a more um, casual way. But what we do know is that when Jesus comes to him, there's, there's going to be an incredible change. He calls him. And Matthew's reaction? Okay, <laughs> I'll follow, right? Here's what Jesus did. He changed he changed Matthew's identity in that moment, right? He called him and he said, uh, um, you are going to be different from here on out, right? Um, when you follow me, it, this isn't going to be kind of a, a foot half in, foot half out type thing. When you follow me, it's an all in type thing, right? And Matthew's life would never be different or never be the same rather. And I think we understand that on some level. We, we know in our own hearts how Christ has changed our path, right? Um, and on some level, how he has changed our identity, okay? Um, and we can have a laundry list of who we are, of the things we do, of the places we live, um, the tasks we're able to do, the abilities, the gifts that God has given you. But at the heart of all of, the, all of that is a call from Christ in that your identity has been changed, from sinner to saint, right? From outside to inside. From a, a not a part of God's family to being an heir of eternal life and salvation. And the very same thing is true for Matthew. Jesus comes to him and says, your identity is going to be different today, right? Um, you know Anthony Bourdain said this, You learn a lot about someone when you share a meal. I think that's true, isn't it? Right? What Matthew found out about Jesus when he shared a meal with him was nothing short of astounding, right? And that he was nothing short of his God and his Savior above. And that drastically changed who Matthew was. It changed his identity. It changed his path. He now uh, was going to be a disciple of Christ and share that news with with those whom he loved, right? So the very first thing that Jesus does, that he does for us, is he calls us through his word, through his gospel, and he changes our identity, right? That we're washed clean. The second thing he does in our text is he connects us, right? So we'll continue on with verses 10 and 11. It says this, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, It's a fascinating question, um, and, and it's very specific to, I think, everything that was going on within Israelite culture at that time. And, and I think um, maybe we, we pass over it just a little too quickly, but they ask Jesus' disciples, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? 
it's fascinating that they don't ask Jesus himself, right? But we know how that works, right? Sometimes questions come around the backside rather than directly to him, right? Why does your rabbi, why does the person you're following, Matthew, why, uh, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, why does your leader eat with people that are sinners? Now, understanding Israelite culture at that time, we've got to understand exactly what their implications were. Uh, within Israelite culture, there was, there was those that were, um, we might say, insiders and those that were outsiders, okay? Those that were considered clean, those that were considered unclean, okay? Now, the Pharisees that were asking the question would have absolutely placed themselves in the category of clean, right? Uh, they were insiders and maybe in the worst uh, possible way they were insiders. They ran the religious life of the Israelites at that time. Uh, they were in charge of what you should do or not do, right? They were the ones that were pull pulling the political strings. They were the ones that were putting in place the structures and telling the Israelites, right, do this, don't do that, right? So if there were ever um, supposed insiders, it would have been those Pharisees, and they had a view of themselves that they were clean, now, you contrast that with the other group that they ask about, right? We call that sinners, right? Now, tax collectors like Matthew would have been included. Zacchaeus as a tax collector would have been included. Uh, um, we think of, of all of the professions that were in Israelite society, but in some sense were on the outside and were on the fringes, right? Matthew would not have been allowed to worship in the temple. He was ceremonially unclean right? He was not allowed to do that. He was barred from that type of worship. In fact, many of those that showed up at Matthew's house, and that should not surprise us, that Matthew's friends and his family and the guests that frequented his house were those that were considered outsiders. They were considered sinners. And so they ask the disciples that question, why does Jesus eat with outsiders, with sinners, right? And it's a fascinating question for us, right? And in large part, it's because the Pharisees and Israelite society at that time thought, um, if you eat with that type of person or those type of people, it'll make you unclean. Put it this way, if you eat dinner with those type of people, they're going to rub off on you, right? Now, here's the fascinating thing. Um, um, they maybe had a little bit of a point there, right? In fact, you go to the Old Testament laws and there was all kinds of Old Testament ceremonial laws about eating the right food and washing and, and, and setting the Israelite people apart from the unbelieving world around them and the unbelieving neighbors around them, right? And so at least on some level, the Pharisees knew, they knew what the law said and it wasn't the problem of the law, it was how they were using it, right? To separate and to, to uh, um, separate themselves, rather, from others. So when they ask Jesus that question, it's, it's steeped in, in um, Israelite culture and tradition. If you ate with the wrong people, maybe it was going to rub off on you. But that's a fascinating question for us, isn't it? Because who gets to determine who is the right person or the wrong person? Who gets to determine whether something rubs off on us or doesn't? That's really the heart of the question that they're asking Jesus. 
And you want to know the, 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 um, the reality of the answer? Is that we all are sinners. Truth is, we all are on some level on the outside. If we look to our God above who says, um, if you want to earn your way into eternity, all you have to do, one simple thing, is be perfect. And yet not one of us are, including those Pharisees or the sinners that gathered at Matthew's house. And so what Jesus was saying was, on some level, we are, sin has made us all outsiders. And all we are doing is jockeying for position on the outside. But Christ came to pull us out of that. And here's the really amazing thing. In front of Matthew and the Pharisees and those disciples, on some level, the ultimate insider, Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the ultimate insider uh, came into our world in order to live his life perfectly on our behalf. Jesus was crucified outside the city walls. Christ and his perfection wash us clean. The ultimate insider went outside as he died and, and hung dying on that cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Christ bore our sin, our, 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 the things that we would think like wear off, right? Christ bore those on our Behalf. And so in that moment, as Christ was eating with Matthew and the sinners and the Pharisees, the reality was, in Christ, we are brought inside, inside God's house. We are washed clean on account of him. Matthew knew that intimately. There was, he had no illusion about what he was or who he was as a tax collector or a sinner. The Pharisees at that time would have reminded him of that over and over and over again. And yet, Matthew, with his whole heart, followed Christ, right, and was assured that he was forgiven. And the same is true for you and I. Same is true for you and I. We, We are brought inside God's house, not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, not because our, of our, our status within any single organization, but because of and on account of Christ and him alone. His blood that was shed for us has brought us inside God's house and we are forgiven, right? So, that is the connection that we find in Jesus, right? That is the connection, actually, that, that Christ made as he ate, as he ministered, and as he died on the cross for those at that time and for you and I. And that's the same beautiful truth that we get to share with others. Uh, James Beard once said this, food is our common ground, a universal experience, right? So if a meal is a true kind of um, melting pot of humanity, the real beautiful thing we have about it is that in our meals, as we eat, as we share those things, as we, we share that universal common experience, you get to share something that is remarkably uh, unique and beautiful, namely Christ and forgiveness in Him, right? So no matter where we go or who we eat with, we get to share the ultimate insider who brings us inside God's house, Christ, right? Okay, our last point here, memory. We'll finish with verse 12. It says this, on hearing this, Jesus said, 
It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners, but sinners. And so Jesus hears the questions of the Pharisees, and in his answer, he is hoping that the Pharisees recognize their own sinfulness. And he finishes with this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And it's a fascinating way to end this text, because who were good, at least in an earthly sense, at sacrificing for God above? Well, it would have been those Pharisees, actually, right? They were really good at doing the right things at the right time and, in fact, adding rules and regulations to it. So, on some level, they they would have been very good at making sacrifices and maybe would have been able to say to Jesus, we've sacrificed everything. We sacrifice uh, um, um, our livelihood. We, We physically sacrifice within the temple. And so, it's fascinating that Jesus says, I don't desire sacrifice, I desire mercy. What was he saying to those Pharisees and to you and I? It's not what we do that makes us right with our God above. It's not the things we sacrifice that make us right and holy in God's sight. It's Christ and him alone. And Jesus was trying to pull that out of these Pharisees to understand that, number one, they have not been perfect. Number two, they haven't sacrificed enough. And none of us have. And yet, those Pharisees and you and I have been shown mercy in Christ. The free gift of sins forgiven. Not because of of the works we've done, but on account of Christ and his grace, his his, his faithfulness to us, and ultimately his sacrifice on the cross. And so when Jesus sends them out and us out, he says, this is what I want you to walk with, (laughs) with mercy, with forgiveness, and with healing. One more quote. Hippocrates, who actually was around uh, um, about two, 300 BC, this is a quote that is attributed to him. He says, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And I think maybe it's a good way for us to end and maybe view um, the meals that we eat, the people that you enjoy them with, The opportunity we have is to bring Christ's mercy in those settings, right? And the forgiveness that we have in Him, right? And and that is absolutely food and spiritual food that heals, that washes sins away and ultimately um, sends us into our lives and, and empowers us for the rest of our living. So, as you go forward, I think we can remember those things. And as you eat... Remember your identity in Christ, right? And who, what, who and what he has called you to do. Remember that connection not only to him, but also to the people that you eat with. And lastly, the memory and the remembrance of what that brings, that you have been shown mercy, that you are loved, that you are forgiven, and the opportunity we have to share that with those whom we eat with. Okay? So I don't know if you're hungry yet. Maybe you are, right? But the next time you eat, let's remember Christ and how he ate, how he showed mercy, how he opened his arms, and ultimately the forgiveness that we have in him. Amen.